Mannequin Chill is back. It is the Dynasty Playoff Edition Week 1. Hopefully you're in. If not, we'll be there soon where you can start focusing on the offseason. If not, next couple weeks, you'll get trading back. Hopefully you don't have a trade deadline, but a lot of people seem to do. So you'll have trading available here in a couple weeks if you have one. But Week 15, first week of the Fantasy Playoffs. Shane, we're going to not talk about the Fantasy Playoffs, though, because I think there's a lot of other content that are focusing on who do I trade for for the playoffs or who has a good schedule and all that kind of stuff. That's not what Mannequin Chill is. So we're going to start by trying to forecast some reactions into the offseason. So the title of this is going to be our reaction to the potential reactions of the community in 2024. So we're talking offseason 2024, spring early summer, rookie draft season, free agency season, the fun time in Dynasty where it's not the weekly grind on every player's getting hurt and then we have to raise their value or completely throw their value into the ocean, but reacting to people's reactions, Shane. So that's going to be the topic for today. And really, this is just going to be us going back and forth on things we think the community is going to have a strong reaction to. Now that can be positive or that can be negative, or it can just be a strong reaction, even if there's people that are on both sides. So I'll start with you. You know, it's the end of the season, the regular season. So my mind's flooded with everything I did wrong in the regular season this year, trying to think about what I'm going to do next year to change it. But that's not today's topic. Today's just about reactions. One of the things that we're going to see is because it, it is a copycat deal, right? And we do like fun stories and the community does uh, like outliers. So I think there's going to be a lot of Puka Nakua and Tank Dell uh, searching next year. There's going to be a lot of wide receivers that are you're told are the next Puka or the next Tank Dell. And while those stories might be fun, I don't know if there's anyone going to be as fun as Puka and Tank. Like that just sounds like a fun cartoon, just a fun Saturday morning cartoon, the Puka and Tank show. I would right now say you probably want to fade those outliers right if you come across the situation again and you're given the same information you probably want to react the same way you did last year or this year i should say this year isn't technically over but by selling them because those two are outliers one was a third round rookie pick and the other was some fourth rounds some not at alls so as fun as it would be to think that you can hit on like two guys like that every year it's probably not likely you can even hit on one of those guys semi-yearly semi-yearly every once in a while so is it that you think people are going to overreact and try to find the next tank dollar puka nakua or they are going to overreact when anybody that is in that relevant range comes out and has a great preseason or comes out and has a really good game and then they're going to essentially say that is the next puka nakua and then i'm not going to have the discipline to sell do you think it's going to be a little bit of both because i could argue people are always going to chase outliers but when you had two outliers like that that coincide with the fact the community loves receivers, it feels like people are going to continue to to just chase whoever the comp is to those guys, whether it be draft capital or landing spot or profile or whatever, they're going to continue to chase that. But I'd also argue that maybe you and I in the past, we wouldn't have chased those types of guys in drafts. But maybe now, because we have so many leagues, we'll have the capacity to maybe we take 5% of our third and fourth round picks and we'll take a couple shots on those types. I'm willing to chase Mm -hmm. only because if you tell me on 5% of my teams, I can take a couple shots on receivers in that range. Because before I would have just been very dogmatic. No, 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 no. But I also can't ignore the fact that if I hit on a receiver that people like in that range, 
other people will like it. But I will have the discipline to go, okay, this is probably not the next tank, Dell or Puka Nakua, where they're top 12 dynasty receivers. Someone's giving me two seconds. Someone giving me a first. Goodbye. So I think that's where the overreaction will come if people continue to follow that behavior. So which one do you think it is? I mean, how do you, how do you mean see it play out in your own dynasty career? Yeah, I'm sure it's going to be both. And one, we always are chasing outliers because, I mean, they're outliers. They stick out in our head and they're fun stories. And frankly, if you hit on an outlier, you're ahead, right? You've spent nothing on this asset and it turns into something, which is a lot more fun and a lot more memorable than saying, hey, remember that time that I uh, hit on James Robinson, but then I traded him for a second? That really paid off for me. No one remembers that. But you remember if, you know, you kept James Robinson his entire rookie season and he, he helped carry you to a title. I think more the reaction to people are going to be all in when a player has a preseason hype in the Puka Nakua Tank Dell type range. And yeah, I will take the L on, well, both those players, you know, on Tank Dell, I was on board. I said, sell him for a second in, in the preseason, right? We, we did a, I think we did a show back in uh, Canton talking about that. And if you look back now, it's easy to say, hey, that's a miss. You would have held on them. You would have gotten a first. But again, he's an outlier. If you just compare him to every other wide receiver, well, there is no wide receiver of that size. But if you would have, you know, compared them to every other wide receiver ever drafted in that range, the smart move is to move them. Puka Nakua, and I don't know, and this is what kind of hurts my brain, is I reacted quickly the other way once the season started. Because people still didn't believe in them after two weeks, and three weeks. And I said, all right, well, then I'm just going to go buy a bunch of him. And then when he dipped a little bit, a few games, I went and bought a lot of them. So I, I think people will be more apt to buy, which is going to make me more resolute in selling them. Because if you're going to give me multiple seconds for players with that archetype, I'm going to take it regardless of what the outcome was this year. That's one of the things I, I think I, I need to stick to do a better job is uh, sticking to my own process next year. But that's another subject. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's an interesting one. I didn't even really think about this topic a ton until you brought it up. But we have touched on it on previous streams and previous shows where we've talked about people basically taking what's happened this year. The bigger thing is it coincides, again, like I said earlier, it coincides with the fact that this is a wide receiver heavy market. I mean, people are always looking for good receivers. And then when they can get them, when they happen, they're always willing to kind of give up future picks or whatnot if it's what they see as maybe a insulated asset like wide receiver. So I do think there's going to be a lot more chasing. But because those outliers existed, I do think it, it does what you're talking about. There's going to be a stronger reaction to the, man, that looks like that could be the next fourth round receiver that's good. Let me get in because I didn't get in on Puka. I didn't get in on Amon Ross St. Brown the year before. I'm not making that mistake again. And the reality is you don't get a guy that comes from the fourth or fifth round every year that jumps into that range. Like if you said, oh, there's going to be one Amon Ross St. Brown or Puka Nakua, that's probably not a good bet to say there's going to be one every year and I don't want to miss out on it. So I'm going to give up two seconds for a guy in that range every year because you're going to even overpay at that point, even if you faded the player at their original draft cost. So it's a good topic. I'm sure we'll dive in more to it when we get more names and profiles together with the rookie class as well. For me, I think it's going to be the quarterback scoring, very flat. A lot of injuries, a lot of elite QBs that either got hurt, didn't produce, or some combination of both. I do think we might have gotten it a little wrong by being so dogmatic on who the top eight, nine quarterbacks were. And hey, we nobody else even could 
sniff that range. I think we were a little too concrete on who those guys were going to be. You could have asked me six months ago, okay, if you're going to tell me there's a guy in that range, I'm willing to pay whatever it takes. And then somebody that's slightly out of that range, I don't really want that guy. He's overvalued, right? QB QB 11, Dak Prescott was overvalued going into the season because he's not as good as Deshaun Watson or Justin Fields. So he's a, he's a tier below and I don't even want to buy into that tier because I'd rather buy the cheaper guys because I think I know what the tiers are going to look like. So I think there's some regression with that though, Shane. Not every year are you going to be able to roll out there and go, I can find this old QB2 and they're just going to stay healthy and they're going to give me low-end QB1 numbers. And the good news is everybody that had Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Anthony Richardson, all those guys got hurt. So my guy that was a tier below them just stepped right in and now I have the great quarterback position and those guys that lost those players don't. So I think we're going to overreact to that. It's going to decrease the value of selective QBs. I do think the high-end ones are still going to hold first-round startup value, but you can just picture it now. Startup draft. They ain't going to be 10 QBs in the first round anymore. There's going to be people that go, oh, I can get QB 14 in the late second, early third. I'll do that. I'm, I'm no way I'm paying for QB 9. I'll make a prediction here. I think there's a chance, and I would never have said this six months ago. I think there's a chance we get to, let's say, April, and I don't know if the 101 in the rookie draft is a guaranteed first-round startup pick. But definitely when we get into the season, I could see where the QB1 in the class is not a surefire top 10, top 12 startup pick, depending on who it is. And maybe that's a hot take, but I, I could just see people going, all right, I'll take these six or seven QBs, but I am taking, instead of picking at the end of the startup, 111, 112, and going Drake May or Caleb Williams, I'm going CD Lamb. I'm going AJ Brown. You know, I'll, I'll wait. I'm not I'm not picking QB 10 when I'm going up against the teams that got QBs early. And, and you know, and that might include a couple of the rookies. What do you think? It's beautiful how all these things kind of coalesce into each other. They all run into each other. At least they do in my mind. It feels like it fits perfectly, right? Based on what I saw this year, I don't know that I need a quarterback for a spike week. And I have to look up the stat head, right? I'm going to use that after after we're done talking, actually. Just reminded myself to do that. It feels like there's been more spike weeks. And by spike weeks, I mean 30-point-plus weeks outside of quarterbacks than I can ever remember during my entire time of playing fantasy football. Now, half of that was spent playing standard, so obviously that's a little different. But even in the PPR era, I don't remember this many spike weeks. I don't know if that's just faulty memory or what recency bias, but I'm going to look it up. I'm going to see, but I feel like if I think that someone that's in, in the game all the time, nonstop, that people that play the game are going to feel the same way, right? We play the game obviously, but, but I mean, people that don't do content and all, they're going to feel the same way that there's spike weeks to be had. That's the way to win. Yes. I take AJ Brown instead of Justin Herbert. I take CD Lamb, like you said, instead of Caleb Williams, obviously instead of Deshaun Watson. Now, maybe I take him in front of Anthony Richardson because those players gave me spike weeks, almost as good as quarterbacks did this year. So there's really no reason for me not to draft those wide receivers when they're going to give me the that a quarterback one's going to give me. Isn't part of that analysis though, is essentially you're saying the flat range of QB starts earlier and it extends maybe a little later to where you're comfortable. I think even you and I are probably more comfortable next year going, well, if I don't take a QB in the first two rounds of a startup, I can probably get away with still building a viable quarterback room. Especially, I mean, my new roster construction series, I've talked about how you can kind of backfill your QBs with bodies. It definitely has worked this year. Now, is it going to be predictive in the future? 
future. That's part of the challenge. But I do think we are generally accepting the fact now that there are less good QBs in the NFL, meaning guys that are just, you got to start them every single week, matchup proof, right? right? Then there's another tier of QBs where you're like, all right, this is where the QB six through 15 sits. And those are guys, if you have them, you probably had to pay decently to get them and you're just going to start them regardless of the weather, regardless of the matchup. But then after that, I mean, you look at the war and the war numbers back it up, especially if your quarterback scoring is a little depressed. All that matters after that, it's very much like running back, Shane. All that matters is, do I have a quarterback that's starting that week? Then you assess the skill set of that quarterback. You know, is it Mitch Trubisky or is it Teddy Bridgewater or is it somebody that might have a little upside because they can run? But the big tiebreaker there is on a weekly basis, what are you looking for? Game script, matchup, and it's no sweat for you to go, you know what? I'll start Jake Browning or Joe Flacco over Geno Smith, over Jared Goff, right? You see Jared Goff out in the cold against a good defense. It's not a top 12 quarterback, is it? It's not a top 15 QB. Now you get Jared Goff in the dome against a bad team. He goes for 350 and three touchdowns. But that's the same as essentially you're looking at the matchup. So if you tell me a quarterback and I'm immediately looking at the matchup going, "Uh, I don't know, I don't trust to start this guy, then he shouldn't be a top 15 QB really. Right. We should at least pencil him in as he's he's essentially a streaming QB or a streaming QB option that I'm going to pick the majority of the time because he's better than Joe Flacco or Bailey Zappi. But if the matchup dictates it, I may go to my bench and pick a backup QB. And there may be weeks where I just need to do it because I don't have any other starters. So I think you can get away with kind of being a little more liberal at the the middle range of the QB landscape, but I, I definitely don't think that you need to pay for anything that's right at that top of that tier and anything after that QB 15 to 20 range. I think there's a hack to say they don't have any value. Zero value. Someone may say, oh, Kenny Pickett's worth two thirds. To me, you know what? He's worth, what do I have to get him off my roster? Yeah. You know, I can replace him with anybody that's Tommy DeVito is just as good as him. Now, Tommy DeVito may die and they may bring in another guy, but the point is the fill-in QB is as good as some of the back-end starters that people value because they have job security. So I think just reassessing how we tier QBs and how to build QB rooms. I don't think you have to pay up for the elite guys, but I definitely think that people are going to overvalue some of the middle-tier guys, and there can be there can be landmines in there. You think this guy's safe? Russell Wilson, he's safe until he's not, and then he's a tier below her, and then he's down in the I don't really even want him range. So I think that'll be an interesting thing of how people react to the QB scoring this year. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to see what the tier is, how big the tier is for elite quarterbacks. Mahomes, him on a specific level, I can't wait to see how people react to him because you remember when he had a bad year, he still finished as a QB one, but it wasn't QB one, two or three. All of a sudden there was a buy window for him. It feels like Mm -hmm. there'll be another buy window for him, but it feels like more players are more attainable than ever before. I don't know again if that's the KTC part of the the game, if it's the more the redraft mindset, I'm not sure what it is. But you know, me and you used to talk a couple of years ago about how what was big was a player becoming available. Now it seems like everyone's available all the time, just about. Like there's not a trade, there's not a player that I can imagine I couldn't trade for. Obviously, I need the assets, but three years ago, Patrick Mahomes would have been untouchable. Four years ago, he would have been untouchable. All it takes is one down season, and not even that, several down weeks, and we're ready to either move on 
or severely diminish someone's trade value or what it costs to get them. That's going to be interesting to continue to watch. And that that QB, specific to the QBs, it's going to be very interesting to see what we value. Do we value Jalen Hurts, even though he's had a ton of turnovers? Are we going to value the upside of Anthony Richardson? How's Herbert going to be valued? I mean, part of this is the injuries and things like that too, and Joe Burrow. So yeah, I'm really interested to see just the QB market in general, period. And how many teams are going to go, let me go hero quarterback. Let me get, like you said, one monster quarterback, maybe not two, right? Maybe they don't go elite. Maybe they get one elite quarterback and we go back to the old days where it's like, I'm just streaming that second quarterback. And maybe sometimes I build a roster with really no QB two, just a bunch of QB threes that I can play when I feel like it. And if I have multiple receivers that are popping, I'll just put them in there. Yeah. And I think the, um, the point about the QB market will be interesting, but I do also think that part of the the flaw in every player being available that you were talking about is that is driven by new players coming into Dynasty. It's also driven, I mean, I, I don't want to sit here and say we're the reason for it, but I do think a lot of the process stuff that we've hammered over the years of there really there isn't a player, especially if you're in the leagues that we play in, start 11, start 12, really active, deep rosters, you can't afford to dig your heels in on players for too long because you're always going to miss the opportunities. You're always going to miss the sell windows. You're always going to miss the the tear down or tear up windows. You're you're always going to be behind because there's 10 other like-minded people that are going, I'm I'm reacting quick. Now, they may be wrong, and you might have been right by holding, but generally, if you operate that way, if you don't play along with the dynasty day trading market, there's going to be spots where you're just wrong. You're always behind. And when you're always behind, you're going to have a stagnant roster, uh, which generally means that you're going to get stuck in places where you can't move anything because your price on a player is always going to be three weeks behind the community. It's going to be the old, I'll sell him, but I want a first. Well, he hasn't been a force worth a first since he's had three bad games. Well, I'll wait for his value to bounce back. Then when it bounces back, someone comes to you. Hey, Shane, I'll give you a first. Nah, man, I need two firsts. He smashed the last three weeks. It's like, yeah, but no one's going to give you two firsts. So again, you don't sell there. You know, so you just end up not doing anything because you're always a little bit of a step behind the market. So I think that that is contributing to why every player is available. And now that we have tools like war and understand roster construction better, there really isn't a reason. There isn't a bulletproof player in the league that is so dominant and immune to variance or immune to injury where I go, I cannot trade him, cannot trade him. You know, it doesn't exist. Even a deal where it's a slight leverage deal in your favor or it's a 50 50 or 49 51 deal. I'll trade anybody. You want Justin Jefferson? I, there's a chance more likely now that I'd be willing to do a two for one deal for Justin Jefferson if you have the right things on the other side. So that is an interesting discussion with, uh, you know, how active people are and how quick things change that you do see more trades at the high end. So yeah. very interesting topic. Well, we could go on to this for hours and hours and hours. I'm sure there'll be more topics that we want to react to things that we see things that as the narratives start to build as the season ends, because then people have nothing but time to start looking back at data. That's probably you and I's favorite time of the year to go back and look at a season's worth of data and go, hmm, what can I take away from this compared to years past? Or what can I take away well, that's- from these individual players? And then we start making sweeping conclusions and then that's what we're going to do next year and then by the time we get to mid-season it's like eh, i don't know maybe that was an outlier some of the data that we looked at what were you going to say well that's what i was going to say and the important thing is not to just look at it compared to obviously in a vacuum well what what, what happened this year well that's that's always going to happen going forward even though the game changes you definitely want to look back and it doesn't have to be a giant window right you shouldn't be looking back at 15 years of stuff to make decisions on what, what's happening now five years three years i still think that's a good look back 
So I, I just make sure people, when they're looking back, they don't look at one year in a vacuum and go, well, this is the new norm. Well, got some bonus mannequin shield tonight uh, with an extra long episode. We always say, oh, this is going to be a quick one, Shay, just reacting to the reactions. And we end up going for almost a half hour. But enjoyed talking to you about it. More reactions to come. Good luck to everybody in the playoffs. Hope you made it. Hopefully you're back next week in the semifinals and uh, check in on the streams whenever we are available. The Patreon and the Discord, Trades in 5 on uh, Destination Chill tier on the Patreon and on the Destination Devi website. So DestinationDevi.com or Patreon.com slash All Gas. You'll get bonus content on there. So with that, good luck week 15 and we are out.